Um, I'll be doing the second Bible reading today, which will be from uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 until 23. On your church Bibles uh, found in front of you, uh, it can be found on page 1,234. Otherwise, you can follow along on the projection just behind me. Colossians chapter 6, sorry, chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised, in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Thanks, Michelle. Uh, And good morning. Uh, My name is Pete. Uh, It's a great privilege to be uh, serving you with Michael and others this morning. Uh, Although I should probably tell you, uh, we were chatting this morning before the service, and with both uh, John and Chris away, it feels a little bit like uh, mum and dad have gone off on holidays. Uh, They've chucked the keys to the kids and said, don't burn the house down while we're gone. Uh, (laughs) But God's been good to us so far. How about we pray that he continues to be good to us now? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thanks for what you've already shown us, taught us, reminded us of. Uh, in your word, as it's been read, in the songs that we've sung. Thanks for the privilege of speaking to you in prayer. And Father, we pray now for this moment as we consider that wonderful, important part of your word. Please show us again how wonderful the Lord Jesus is, how wonderful life in him is, and how crazy it would be to look anywhere else. I pray these things for Jesus' honour and glory. Amen.
Uh, well, if you were here last week, uh, you might remember that Peter Hasty uh, helped us both ask and answer that most important of questions. Uh, who can take away my sin? And you might remember the answer was, surprise, surprise, uh, Jesus. Uh, he alone was sacrificed for our sins as our lamb in our place. Uh, he alone is the solution to our problem. He alone can give peace to our souls. The question is, though, what then? Uh, or to put it another way, what now? If that's true and you've already believed it, if you've already received the forgiveness offered in him, what now? After all, the exam's already passed. The ticket's already bought. Your seat in heaven has already been reserved. And so, what now? Now, do we simply wait, like that person on the platform, scrolling the phone, waiting for the train to arrive, entertaining ourselves, living our life, glad that our ticket is bought? Is that what we do? Or if not that, having been forgiven, is there more, more we could have? Or more we should want. Perhaps another step in the Christian life. Something more to give me more of what God wants for me. After all, if you've been Christian long enough, I'm sure you've met those kinds of Christians. The ones who, when it comes to the Christian life, always seem to have just a little more. You know, a little more passion. A little more discipline, a little more, well, than you. You see, after forgiveness, what then? How do I have a full, authentic, complete Christian life? Well, friends, if you've ever wondered that, or perhaps I think more likely ever just felt that, then I want to say the book of Colossians is for you. Because that's what Colossians is all about. It's about God revealing to us the complete Christ and God offering to us the complete life that's found in him. And perhaps no passage in all of Colossians does that better than the one we had read just a moment by Michelle. Here God lays the foundation for the rest of the book. And so I'd love you to have it open if you don't already. Colossians chapter 2, beginning verse 6. Because here Paul shows us what a complete Christian life looks like. And it's a life, Paul says, that one, continues in Christ. Two, bewares empty, destructive alternatives. And three, learns together and learns forever of how complete Christ is and of how complete we are in him. First of all, the life that continues in Christ. See, there's two mistakes I think we Christians often make when it comes to the Christian life. And the first of those is this. It's to think that it's static, stationary, still. Now, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of commands in the Bible to stay strong, stand firm. In fact, we heard one of those in that first reading this morning. But see, here's the thing. 
in the Bible, that never ever means standing still. Rather, and perhaps counterintuitively, it always, always means moving forward, walking on, growing deep, building up, learning more. After all, did you see how Paul puts it there in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, verse 6? So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue. Continue to live in Him, rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. You see, the authentic Christian life is never one that's static. It never simply settles for where you currently are or what you currently know. Like a, like a racer who just sits when the starter's gun is fired. Or the builder who just stops when the foundation there is laid. It makes no sense. As Paul will say in just a few verses, you've been made alive, so live. You've been born again, so grow. And yet he will also say, only and always with Christ. In Christ. See, if our first mistake often in the Christian life is to think of it as static, that once we're saved, that's it, there's nothing more to do or know, then the second is to think that somehow there's more to know or feel beyond Christ if you want to really have the full Christian life. But did you notice again, that's not what Paul says. Now, he calls us to move forward without moving on. Or it says there, verse 6, to continue in him. Just as you receive Christ Jesus Lord. Just as you were taught, verse 7. I'm not sure if you're an uh, English soccer fan, uh, but I don't think you have to be to know that the anthem for the Liverpool uh, Soccer Club is Roger and Hammerstein's You'll Never Walk Alone. Uh, and if you ever get to see it, and it's all over YouTube, so you can look it up, it is genuinely spine-tingling, uh, and probably just a little bit idolatrous, actually, to see all these tough, rough English soccer players uh, with their banners held high, belting out together this song. Uh, and in particular, the chorus that says, Walk on, walk on, with hope in your heart, and you'll ne'er ever walk alone. Okay, it sounds better when they sing it, but, but, but you see, that's Paul's point. That's what he wants us to do, to walk on, but not alone. To move forward in your love and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, but without ever, even for a second, moving on from him. See, after forgiveness, then what? How do I have a complete Christian life? Well, you do it, Paul says, by first of all, continuing in Christ. And you do it second by bewaring empty, destructive alternatives that can draw you away from Christ. To help us and protect us, Paul, in the next verses, names three. Did you see them? The first is worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom. That is those basic ways of human thinking that seem so compelling 
and so obvious, so normal, and yet are so contrary to Christ. Have a look there, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. So we are, of course, bombarded every single day by, by the wisdom of the world, from our billboards to our screens, from the news we read and hear. And all the way through it is this subtle, seductive whisper that if you really want a full life, even as a Christian, then here's how you should think about your God or, or yourself or your world. And Paul says, beware that wisdom. Whether that wisdom comes with that promise of performance that says again and again and again, if you, if you want to get good, you've got to be good. If you want to succeed, you have to achieve. Paul says, beware. Beware that wisdom that will draw you away from Christ. Or if not that, perhaps it's the allure of experience. That wisdom of the world that says the life best lived is the life most enjoyed. And I think especially today, most enjoyed in travel. As Han Christian Anderson supposedly wrote, to travel is to live. And so if you haven't, then you aren't. See, Paul says, beware. Beware that wisdom that ever so subtly suggests that if you want a full life, then you're going to need something more than Christ. From worldly wisdom, Paul moves on to religious ritual, especially to those rituals which decide whether we're in or out, and which some religious people use to rank those who are God's people. You see this one in verse 16. Jump down to verse 16. Verse 16, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you for what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are shadows of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. See, don't let anyone think, make you think, Paul says, that somehow you're lesser because you don't do what they say you must. There's a group on the campus where I work just down the road called the Melbourne Church of Christ. Not to be confused with the Church of Christ nominations, that's something different. This is the Melbourne Church of Christ. And what do they believe? Well, among other things, and I quote... In the salvation of man's souls, there are two necessary parts. God's part and man's part. God's part's the big part. But man's part is also necessary if man is to reach heaven. And what is man's part, according to them? Well, actually, they're very good things. Evangelism. Bible study. Baptism. Discipleship. But see, here's the thing. According to them, if you don't do them, or you don't do them well enough, or more to the point, you don't do them with them, then you don't have a complete Christian life. There's something you're missing and lacking to be a real Christian. 
But Paul says here, beware. Just as he says to those wonderful young students at campus, often the Christians who are kind of bewitched by this zeal of this cult, beware. And he says it to us too. For us for whom discipline can so often so easily drift into legalism, beware. And beware too, a special spiritual experience. Whether by dream or vision or prophecy or tongue or anything else. Not that those things of themselves are wrong, any more than religious ritual for that matter. Or even engaging with the wisdom of the world. But, but where that experience says you're better or worse, or that by that experience you'll somehow now have a fuller Christian life, Paul says beware. You see at verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility, the worship of angels, disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he's seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He's lost connection with the head from whom the whole body is supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as, as God causes it to grow. Now you'll notice, and it's important, that the picture Paul gives here is is not so so much a person who's had an unusual experience. I I know a number of friends, actually, who are wonderful Christians who it seems have really had quite unusual experiences within their Christian life. No, the picture here is the kind of person who, who delights in that experience and who then somehow even manages to hold it against you. Did you notice? They're the kind of person for whom the experience has eclipsed Christ. No longer is he the amazing person and the gospel the amazing message. No, the thing they want to talk about, in fact, all the time, is themselves and their wonderful spiritual experience. And why? Well, Because it seems that's the thing that sets them apart from you. I mean, after all, what do you have? Only Christ... In his word, among his people, and let's be honest, that does seem just a little boring, doesn't it? Again, Paul says, beware. You must move forward in Christ, yes, but you must never, ever move on from him. There is nothing else in this world that can give to you a more complete Christian life than he can. And here's why. It's because, first of all, while those things are often presented as something that will give you more or will enhance your life with Christ, when they're presented in that way, they are empty, destructive alternatives. Alternatives to Christ. They're never presented that way, of course. They're presented you as the next big thing. As if if with them, you'll you'll be closer to God, finally satisfied. But did you hear the way Paul described them in those verses? See there, verse 8. Hollow. Or verse 17. Shadow. Or verse 23. They lack any value. Like, like some uh, a counterfeit coin. Or a witch doctor's cure. Or like talking to a shadow instead of the real thing. I invite you to give this a go after the service this morning. In morning tea, walk up to the person, talk to their shadow. Hi, how are you? It's useless. 
And worse still, all of those things take rather than give. The moment they are used to add to Christ, all they do is take away. Either you from Christ or Christ from you. After all, have a look again, verse 8. Did you see verse 8? See to it that no one takes you captive. Or perhaps more literally, that nobody kidnaps you away from Christ. Or, or similar again down in verse 19. Do you see verse 19? He has lost connection with the head. Like if you like the guillotine did for Marie Antoinette. <laughs> so these things do for you with your Christ. So Paul says, beware any empty, destructive alternatives, whether it's worldly wisdom, religious ritual, or special experience. And instead he says, if you really want to move on in Christ without moving on from Christ, if you really want to have a complete Christian life, then do this, he says, and do it again and again and again. What's that? Learn together. And forever of how complete Christ is and how complete you are in him. Learn together and forever of how complete Christ is and how complete you are in him. See, that is the key to the complete Christian life. Nothing more, nothing less. Have a look, verse 9. Verse 9. For in Christ, the fullness of the deity, that's God, lives in bodily form. In other words, there's nothing lacking in him. Nothing else you need. Or, or then goes on, verse 10. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power in authority. In other words, in him you lack nothing either. Friends, I don't know what your life was like. Just how often you've been made to feel second rate, second class. But please do know, if you trust this Jesus, you're not. You are full as he is full. You the complete Christian, him the complete Christ. Why? How? Well, it's because, did you notice, you really are with him. Well, to use the language Paul uses here and right through the chapter, and in fact, right through the book, you are in him. Like a, a child in a womb. Or perhaps better, like a, a passenger in a plane. Where he goes, so you go. What happens to him happens to you. See, I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, the, the classic image of how salvation works is of Jesus over there and me over here. Of him fighting the battle and me cheering on. Yay, go Jesus. But, where he's kind of like the knight in shining armor and I'm kind of like the damsel in distress. Where he slays the terrible dragon and I just swoon and cheer and rely on his achievements. And of course, there's something really good in that. If nothing else, the fact that it recognizes just how much I need him and just how he fights my battle. And then through faith, he brings his achievements to me. But see, the problem is 
That's not all the Bible says. The Bible also says, in fact it says it right here in Colossians, that, that through faith, not only does Jesus bring his achievements to me, but he also, by that same faith, brings me into his achievements. He includes me into his work. See, by faith, so united are we with Christ that what happens to him actually happens to us. And therefore, so much more than me just simply kind of cheering and swooning and go Jesus on the sidelines, as we put our trust in him, Jesus reaches down from his horse, swings us into the saddle, and then slays the dragon with us, even as he slays the dragon for us. You see, that's what's going on in the next verses here in Colossians. Uh, there are no horses or jousting sticks, by the way, if you're, if you're looking for them, they're not there. Instead, it's circumcision and baptism there from verse 11. But the point, I think, is the same. As Jesus died, I died with him. My old sinful life was circumcised away. And as Jesus rose, I rose with him. As a person rises up out of the baptism pool. Now, if you're anything like me, you just sit here thinking, how does that work? I'm here, he's there. AD 33, year 2018. But the friends, the point is not how does it work, but the fact that God says it does. And it did. The moment you put your faith in him. Have a look there, verse 12. See it, verse 12. You have been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. You see, you see, that's how complete you are in him. What happened to Jesus has also happened to you. And that's why there from verse 20 at the end of the chapter, Paul thinks it's so crazy that you would leave him and go to anything else. And if we're still not convinced, Paul goes on. You see it verse 13, from verse 13. When you were dead in, the, in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, the powers and authorities there seem particularly to be talking about the devil. He's kind of henchmen. And God says, even these have been defeated by Jesus in his death and beaten in the most emphatic way. You see again verse 15, it says they've been disarmed. Or perhaps better, stripped, like a, like a soldier in war, stripped of his protection, stripped of his weapons, made a public spectacle. See, apparently what would happen in the Roman world was, uh, what they would do is after a victorious battle is they'd process through the streets. And I don't know if they had it, but I imagine ticker tape and crowds, cheers, first for the victorious troops, then for the conquering captain, and finally the defeated enemy, shackled behind the chariot 
and dragged through the streets. And you see, the point was this. The point was to, in the most graphic way, even to the smallest child watching on, to communicate to them, we have won. Victory is complete. Totally conquered. See, Paul says, at the cross, so too Christ. Total. Complete. In fact, even more than that, if you're a Christian, so too you, if you are in him. To see there at the end of verse 13, all our sins forgiven. Verse 14, all that stood against us. All that file footage of your life that the devil would use to accuse and condemn, it's all been wiped, erased, cancelled at the cross. There's this great story of Martin Luther. He has lots of great stories. He's a great reformer uh, who apparently one night is visited in the dream uh, by the devil. And in his dream, the devil accuses Luther of sin after sin after sin with this long, long, terrible list. And Luther feels utterly convicted because he knows every allegation is true. He has committed every one and the guilt and shame just flood upon him like, like perhaps it sometimes does us. All the devil's accusations were right. And he feels awful. What can he do? Would you know what he does? In his dream, he remembered the gospel, as you do when you're Martin Luther, I guess. And he got up in his dream and he took a pen and he wrote across the page of all those accusations the verse from 1 John, the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. And Paul says, yes, it does. And do you see, friends, that it's in learning that more and more deeply, in learning who you are in Christ more and more deeply, that the complete Christian life is found. So the question for us this morning is, are we doing that? And will we? As we work hard to to keep coming together, gathering around Christ in his word. As we encourage each other this morning, over at morning tea and during the week. As we persist in reading and praying in our homes. As we critique our world through the lens of the gospel. Rather than just taking it on and taking it in. Will we continue in Christ? Refusing to stand idle on the one hand or move on from Christ on the other. Will we beware empty, destructive alternatives? No matter how much they promise that they can give us more. And especially, will we learn together and forever of how complete Christ is and how complete we are in him? Because if we will, we will have a complete Christian life this side of his return. Let's pray that we will. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your wonderful word to us. Thank you for showing us again the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, who fully paid our debt. We thank you too, Father, for showing us this morning how complete we are in him, fully saved, fully secure, if we trust in him. Now, Heavenly Father, we pray that we would, and as we do that, we would continue, continue to learn and grow, to continue to love and serve, never settling, never stopping. And we pray, Father, you work in us that we really would beware any of these alternatives that want to offer us more than Christ already can or has. Father, please do that for us individually, and especially please do that for us together, as together we live for him. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.